You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. All right, if you would now, I invite you to make your way in your Bible to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, verses 38 through 39 is our text this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. This morning, I want to read and reflect on the last two verses that were a part of last week's passage that I intentionally left out. If you were following along, you were paying attention last week, you probably thought, wait a minute, what about those last two verses? Well, I, I wanted to give them attention this morning. They, they are worthy, these two verses, of an entire message. So I want to read these two verses now with you. And church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. May God bless the preaching of his word. I want to tell you about a man named Mez. McConnell. Mez is his first name, M-E-Z. Mez McConnell is the senior pastor of Needry Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, if you were to meet Mez on the street or you were to see a picture of him on Google, I'm quite certain that you would not think this man's a pastor. <laughs> not only would you not think this man was a pastor, if you saw him, anyone who has heard his story and the way in which he grew up would be utterly shocked to discover that this man is in full-time ministry. Let, let me tell you just a little about his background. Mez McConnell was born in the Republic of Ireland during the height of the war in the 70s. And yet... The war that was taking place in his homeland was like nothing compared to the turmoil taking place in his family. To characterize Mez McConnell's family as dysfunctional would be a massive understatement. Here's just a little bit of his background. Mez McConnell's grandmother on his father's side abandoned his family when his dad was young and she did so in order to work the streets. His grandfather eventually took his own life. His father was an addict both to alcohol and gambling and was angry and extremely abusive. His mother abandoned his family when he was two. She actually ran off with the best man from their wedding. From the age of two, Mez lived off and on with family. He stayed up in foster homes, up to 30 foster homes, and eventually he ended up on the street where he was homeless. 
At age 12, he began to experience drugs. He became violent. And for the first time at the age of 12, he was arrested for assault. At age 15, Mez experienced one of the most traumatic events of his life. One day, he witnessed his best friend get stabbed in the chest. His best friend's injuries were so severe that he bled out in the car on the way to the hospital and died in Mez's arms. Mez eventually began to run the streets with other thugs in his neighborhood, and one of their favorite hangout spots was the local community center that they were known for terrorizing. And one day they encountered a group of Christians who came to play soccer with them, and then after playing soccer with them, tell them about Jesus. Now know what you're thinking at this point. Mez hears the gospel, and he's changed. No. Mez did hear the gospel message that day, but he did not surrender his life to Jesus. Instead, him and his hoodlum friends... They did everything they could to interrupt the meeting. They mocked the guys. They shouted during the entire presentation. And they even threatened to do them physical harm if they ever stepped foot in the community center again. And they threw rocks at their car. Men who came to tell them about salvation in Christ, him and his friends threw rocks at. You see, Mez was on a downward spiral. And finally, after many years of reckless and destructive behavior, his actions produced serious consequences. Mez ended up in his early 20s in a maximum security prison after being involved in a bar fight in which he stabbed two men. But while in prison, one day, some Christians drove over three or four hours to that maximum security prison to share the gospel with the inmates. And one day, while they were sharing the gospel, they sat down with Mez and they spoke to him one on one. And he still remembers that day. He said, they spoke to me as if I was a person that mattered to them. They weren't just trying to get me to seal the deal, sign a card, say a prayer. I mattered to them. Well, eventually, Mez came up for parole. And when he was asked by his parole officer, if you're going to be released, you have to give us a place you're going to stay. What would be a place you could stay? Mez says, I have no place to go. And his parole officer says, then you will not be on parole until this happens. And so Mez remembered these men who came to visit and he begged his parole officer, would you reach out to these men and see if they could just help me find a temporary address at least that I could say I'm staying. So his parole officer did that. And one of the men who came to the prison that day and shared the gospel with him, not only found him a place to stay, he said, you can stay in my home as long as you need. And Mez recounts, from the time he was released, Jesus began to draw him to himself. He started thinking about Jesus all day long. He often could not sleep at night because he was thinking about Jesus. 
And one day, he read a sermon. I love this. He read a sermon by an old Puritan preacher, Matthew Henry. Now, if you're not aware of Matthew Henry, he is incredible. But that would not be the sermon I would give to a unchurched hoodlum who ran the streets. Hey, why don't you read an old Puritan preacher like Matthew Henry? But he reads Matthew Henry. And while reading this sermon, he fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He was aware that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Jesus died to save him. And he says the chains fell off and he came to saving faith. Now fast forward from that day, Mez is now married, he has children, and he has become a pastor. He actually went on to plant a church in Edinburgh, Scotland, in some of the rough parts of the city, the roughest parts of that city that allows his congregation and him to minister not only to the roughest parts, but the roughest people of his community. Now I share Mez McConnell's testimony with you today as a segue into this sermon because no exaggeration, when I thought about the story we looked at last week, I immediately was reminded of Mez McConnell's testimony. Like immediately. As I thought about this story that we were looking at last week, I, I was reminded of this testimony I heard a number of years ago about Mez McConnell. Here's why I could put the two together. Today, we're returning to the story of a man who was in the worst place imaginable, and he was the last person on the planet you would think Jesus could save, just like Mez McConnell, but yet Jesus transforms his life. And just like he did with Mez McConnell, Jesus called this man in our story to proclaim the gospel in a hard place. Today, we're going to consider both the miraculous transformation of this man and the mission of proclamation he was assigned. So that's our outline for this morning. If you're taking notes, we have a miraculous transformation and then we're going to spend time talking about the mission of proclamation. Let's, let's look at a miraculous transformation that takes place in this story. If you recall from the story last week that's recorded in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, going all the way through verse 39. In this passage, we're informed that after arriving on the land with his disciples, Jesus was, as soon as he gets off the boat, gets on the land, he was confronted by a man who was completely, completely overtaken by evil spirits. Not one, not seven like Mary of Magdalene. No, he was, he was completely thousands of demons. And we're told this man was not in his right mind. He went, away, he went around without clothes. He lived in a cemetery. He was often chained up and guarded by the townspeople. And at times, he would even break loose and run into the wilderness where he would stay alone. This man was tormented and troubled to say the least. Until that day, Jesus arrived on the shore. 
As we saw last week, Jesus did cast out these evil spirits from this man, and Jesus restored him and made him whole again. And look at verse 35 of this passage. We're told what happened once this occurred. It says, Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So all of a sudden, this man who was so messed up, so tormented and troubled, they the, the word gets out and everybody comes and they find Jesus and they find this man from whom the demons had gone out. Notice that phrase at the beginning of verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone out. That, that single phrase is a loaded statement with profound implications. Think about what it's communicating. Think about what that, that single phrase is saying to us. It's saying this. A miraculous transformation had taken place in the life of this man. This man that used to be so tormented and troubled, the verse says, this is the man whom the demons had gone out, past tense. This is a man who's no longer known for those things. He's no longer like that anymore. And by using this phrase that Luke does, the man from whom the demons have gone out. It's, it's, Luke, it's Luke's way of, of showing us a before and after picture. Think of it that way. You've seen in magazines when they're trying to sell some dieting, or maybe you've seen it on Facebook, why you should do this diet and you see the before and the after picture. That's what Luke's giving us here. He's giving us the before and after picture. I think Daryl Bach captures it well in his excellent commentary on Luke when he says this. I quote, In a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor, he is now clothed, whereas before he had been naked. He is now seated, whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associating with others as he sits at Jesus' feet. Whereas before, he sought solitude. He is now of sound mind. Whereas before, he had been crying out in a loud voice. He's now comfortable in the presence of Jesus. Whereas before, he wanted nothing to do with him. Do you see it? Do you see the before and after picture? A complete transformation has taken place in this man's life and everyone who knew his story was able to observe the change. The man whom you would have least expected to have ever changed, to have ever been any different, has experienced a miraculous transformation. That's what's happened. It's not just this man who is in a lot of trouble, who is in desperate shape. He got helped. This is the last man on the planet you think will ever, 
ever change. And yet, he is radically transformed and it is noticeable. It is visible. And as expected, the news of his transformation spread throughout the region. That comes as no surprise, as you can only imagine, as the story gets told and the rumblings of what must have happened. So, as expected, the news of his transformation spread. However, what you wouldn't expect is for the people of the town to observe this man, hear about Jesus, and then respond the way they do. Look at verse 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes ask him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. This is not what you would have expected, right? But the most surprising part of this entire story is what happens next. It's not simply that the people heard about this man. This man that everyone feared and everyone knew of and everybody probably tried to avoid. And yet everybody comes, they see him change, they see Jesus and they say, Jesus, could you just go? You know what's more surprising? It's not that. It's what Jesus says next. Look at verse 38. Now we come to the mission of proclamation. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. This appears to be a strange and shocking command from Jesus. Is it not? Aren't disciples of Jesus called to follow Jesus and go where He goes? That's all this man wants to do. He obviously wants to now be a part of of the ministry of Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has changed His life. And all he wants to do is be with Jesus, but Jesus refuses to grant this man's request. How strange and surprising. This man begged Jesus to go with him, and Jesus refused to do what he asked. Which wouldn't have been such a big deal had the demons not begged back in verse 31 for Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. And you know what Jesus did? He did what they asked. This man begs. And Jesus says, no. And on top of that, the townspeople, if you recall, asked Jesus to depart from them, and He did. This man wanted to be with Jesus and Jesus sends him away. What is going on here? What is happening? What a strange and surprising command. 
But the reason it all took place is explained in verse 39, where Jesus says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And then Luke tells us, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Do you see why Jesus sent him away? This man was assigned a very important mission by the Savior. He was assigned a very important mission. Did you hear what Jesus told him to do? I want you to go and declare. And do you hear what Luke tells us he did? He went throughout the city proclaiming. Why is that important? Because the language of proclamation is so big in Luke's gospel. Do you remember what we're told about John the Baptist in in Luke chapter 3, verse 3? It says he went throughout all the regions around the Jordan, what? Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And what did Jesus say when he went into the synagogue in his hometown and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah? He read from Isaiah 61, and this is what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And then how did chapter 8, verse 1 begin? Soon afterward, He, being Jesus, went throughout all the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And guess what's going to happen in chapter 2, verses 9, or chapter chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he said to them, Proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you see what this man has just been called to do? John the Baptist was proclaiming the good news. Jesus is proclaiming the good news. And he's about to send out his disciples to proclaim the good news. And you know what he says to this man who begs him, please let me go with you. He says, no, I've got something better for you. I want you to go and proclaim the good news to your town. I want you to go back home. This man, get get this, this man who was once overtaken by darkness is now proclaiming the message of light, liberty, and life. How sweet is that? (laughs) This man completely who was living in darkness is now proclaiming the good news. Which means... We must not miss this, which means this man who was delivered from demons and transformed by the power of Jesus wasn't just saved from something. He was saved for something. He was saved to proclaim the message of the gospel. This man just wasn't saved from something. He was saved for something. This story, friends, is in our Bible not only to demonstrate the power of Christ, which we saw last week. This story is in our Bibles to highlight the mission of Christ. That's why it's here. 
Think about where this story takes place. I, I didn't mention it last week on purpose because I knew I was coming here. But did you pay attention to where this story's taken place? Not just geographically, but to the details. Where is this story taking place? In Gentile territory. No good Jew would have been a pig farmer. This is a pagan area filled with Gentiles. Even when the man filled with demons opened up his mouth, do you know what he calls Jesus? He doesn't... He calls him God, but he doesn't refer to him as God as a Jew would. He calls him the Most High. These are Gentiles. And Jesus is reaching them. See, listen, Jesus got into the boat. You remember the boat he gets on and the storm takes place? Jesus got into the boat, crossed the Sea of Galilee to take the good news of his kingdom to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles who did not receive the message, but who needed the message. That's why he got on the boat. He got on the boat to go across to let them know of the good news. And not only that, not only did he get on the boat, Jesus left them with a personal witness in the form of this man who was transformed. Yes, Jesus got on the boat and left, according to verse 37. But look at this. Don't miss this. Jesus did get on the boat and leave, but He did not abandon this people. He left them this new disciple to testify to His goodness. Here's the good news. Friends, the townspeople's resistance to Jesus did not stop the persistence of Jesus or the mission of Jesus. Jesus got back on the boat because he had other places he needed to go minister. But he didn't say to these people, well, you don't want me here? He says, guess what? This man who I've clearly transformed, I'm going to leave him here for your good. He's going to be my mouthpiece. Now stop and consider the assignment this man was given. Imagine how hard this must have been. John Bloom, in an article entitled When Following Jesus Means Going Home, written on this text, he writes the following. I think it's so helpful. He says, The, the words, return to your home, must have made this man's heart sink. Home for him was not a warm place of sentimental memories. Home was a place of memories so dark and pain-filled that he likely just wanted to escape them and never go back. But sometimes following Jesus means being sent to the, back to a place where we once knew desolation and indescribable pain. The thought of returning there conjures up fears of our old demons and the people who knew us as we were back then. But it is there that the grace of God in our lives will shine the brightest. What Jesus wants us to know, John Bloom writes, what Jesus wants us to know is that His salvation and His protection extend to those old Horrible haunts. If He can break the death grip Satan once had on us and set us free, 
then He can redeem the places of our former slavery and make them showcases of God's omnipotent grace. Amen? And He says, we tend to think of following Jesus as leaving behind the familiar for the unfamiliar. But sometimes, like for the man in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, the more difficult call is to go back home. For the vast majority of us in this room, living on mission for Jesus will not require us to go overseas. Just like the man. He wasn't allowed to get on the boat and go overseas. His mission was different. Jesus didn't want him to get on the boat and go back over the Sea of Galilee. He said, your mission is to go back home. For us, living on mission will mean the same. Living on mission means being willing not to cross the ocean. If God calls you to do that, may you gladly receive that call. But for most of us, being willing to live on mission means being willing to cross the street or go across town to share with our neighbors, our co-workers, and our community what Jesus has done for us. And what has Jesus done for us? Are you ready? It's something far greater than what He did for that man. That man lived this side of Calvary. <gasps> Take that in. This man had no idea what Jesus was about to do. Oh, he thought he had seen something unbelievable. He had no idea that the man who gave him life, the man who transformed him, was going to take his place. He would be the naked one. He would be the one that would be shamed. He would be the one nailed to a tree for His forgiveness. So what has God done for us through Jesus Christ? He died in our place for our sin so that we can be forgiven and transformed. And friends, that's the message of good news that we must proclaim to those around us. As a church, we must be a people who are regularly proclaiming the good news of the gospel. See, evangelism must be a central component of our mission as a church. Evangelism must be a central component of our mission as a church. We, we must regularly give emphasis to this topic, seek to grow in this area, in hopes of becoming more evangelistic as a congregation. Now you may be thinking, Josh, I don't have an incredible testimony like Mez McConnell or the man from whom the demons had gone out. Well, I beg to differ. 
all those who are in Jesus Christ have the same testimony. No, our, our life story may not be anything like Mez McConnell or the man from whom the demons had gone out, but we all have the same testimony. Jesus saved us by His grace, transformed us by His power, and commissioned us for the sake of His kingdom. That is every single believer's testimony. Our life stories may be different, but we've been saved by grace, transformed by His power, and commissioned for the sake of His kingdom. So let's go into our week remembering who we are. Everywhere we go, we need to remember who we are. Who are we? We're ambassadors of Christ in our classrooms. We are ambassadors of Christ in our homes. We're ambassadors of Christ in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in our communities. So let's not forget who we are. Because the same thing that was true of that man is true for us. We weren't just saved from something. We were saved for something. So that other people, other people would hear the good news from our mouths. And they would be transformed. So in closing, I just want to give you really quickly four things we need to remember as we go. If we're called to go, and remember we're ambassadors here, four things that will help us as we go. Here's the first one. Don't forget God has put you where you are for the sake of His kingdom. Don't, don't look at your daily life and the places where you go as just, well, that's where I work, or that's where I live, or that's where I go to the grocery store. No, you're there on mission. Don't forget that. Second, we've got the best message there is. We've got a message, as I said a minute ago, far better than this guy. Oh, he, yeah, he could say, I once had thousands of demons in me. I used to run around out of my mind. But this guy had no idea what we do. That Jesus Christ is able to forgive all of those who put their faith in Him because He died in their place. That's our message. It's a good message. It's a better message than just transformation. It is the message of reconciliation with God. And we need to take that message to others. Here's the third thing. We must not forget as we go. Don't, don't forget the sequel. <laughs> Luke has a sequel. It's the book of Acts. And as we go, here's what we need to remember. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, He rose from the dead, he, He's ascended to the right hand of God, and He's poured out His Spirit on His people so that we would be His witnesses wherever we go. Which means that when we open up our mouths, when we go to the hard places, guess what? Jesus is with us. And He empowers us. So that it's not up to us to try to be creative enough, to try to be winsome enough, to try to argue well enough, to try to present our case well enough. Or, or we have to have such an incredible testimony, everybody just hears it and goes, whoa! No, Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, meets us. And as we open up our mouth, He uses us for His kingdom. Lastly, here's the thing we must not forget as we go. Jesus has not abandoned your neighbors who may not want anything to do with them. He's not abandoned them because He's put you in their life. 
He's putting me in their life. And it's our role to see ourselves as his ambassadors for the sake of his kingdom. So church, let us hear these words and respond now with faith and expectation that we are no different from this man. We've been given an incredible testimony of God's saving, transforming grace. And God has called us to go back home and tell those around us. Let us pray. Father, would you now take these words we've heard and write these truths on our hearts. And may you send us out from this place this morning as your church into our community for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you for this story. Thank you for these two verses that have said so much to our hearts this morning. Lord, your word has gone out like a sower throwing seed. Lord, I pray that none of this will fall on that soil. But we will hear it. We will heed what we've heard. And that we will bear much fruit. Help us to do that by the power of the Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.